Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from John chapter 15, verses 5 and also 9 through 12. I invite you to stand in body or spirit for the reading of the gospel. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples on that night that he knew he was going to be betrayed and arrested. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious God, we come to hear from you. So open us our ears, our minds, our hearts, to truly listen for what you are speaking to us this day. For you, O God, are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. So today we are wrapping up our two-part sermon series on the church's role in a divided society. Now, I want to recap for us just a little bit here, because I know not all of us were here last week, and I want to get us caught up on the same page. Now, last week, we asked ourselves this question, where does the gospel of Jesus Christ intersect with our divided society today? We looked at a passage from Luke chapter 4 where Jesus shows that a care and concern for social issues are of paramount importance to the good news that he brings. And we talked about how if, if something is important and essential to Jesus, it also ought to be essential and important to us. For as Christ's followers, his priorities ought to become our priorities. But it gets a little messy, and we, we, we talked about this, how engaging with social issues in the midst of our divided society, it is not always clear. Jesus tells us it's important, but he doesn't necessarily give us a clear roadmap for navigating 21st century politics. And it can get tricky, and it can even feel dangerous to wade into the waters of social issues, even though Jesus tells us they're important, because the reality is we live in a world where partisan politics and theology are so intertwined sometimes, it is hard to parse which is which. And so the question becomes, how will we engage our divided world with the good news of Jesus Christ? This, I think, is the real and challenging question that churches in the 21st century need to be asking themselves. Now, if you were here last week, you know that we did not answer this question. We, we did not neatly package and say, this is how the church ought to be in the 21st century. But we asked the question, 
And this week, my, my goal is not to prescribe for us what our role should be, but, but I want to revisit this question again in light of the deliberative dialogue that we had on Wednesday night. And I would love to share with you some of the learnings from that conversation and, and perhaps offer an idea for us to think about of what it means for us to be the church in this day and age. Now, again, for those of you who weren't here last week, just a quick reminder, the deliberative dialogue uh, that we had on Wednesday night, it was in the fellowship hall. It was a night for people to come together as a community and discern this question that we've talked about, and with the help of God's Holy Spirit, have productive and fruitful conversation on the topic And I'd like to give you just a few facts about who was in the room that night. We had 50 participants come and be part of the conversation, which for a very rainy Wednesday night, I I thought was a pretty good turnout. Of those 50 participants, most of us were retired age, but we did have a number of young families and Gen Xers in the room as well. We even had one second grader who came with her mom to attend in the dialogue. She kept her headphones on for most of the time, but I counted her. We had uh, charter members who have been with Aldersgate since the very beginning, and we had folks who have just joined the church in 2022. We had people of different political affiliations, different gender identities, people who would identify as progressive, centrist, and conservative, and everywhere in between on the theological spectrum. It was a good group of people, and we had good conversation. Now, the main part of our time was spent brainstorming benefits and drawbacks to different models or uh, perspectives for how the church can engage with our divided society. And the three options we talked about were the same three options that I outlined briefly in the sermon last week. But just as a quick recap, the first option we talked about was called church as refuge. And, And this offers the idea that churches should focus solely on spiritual growth and avoid talking about controversial social issues. So we talked about the positives and the possible drawbacks to that approach. The second option, churches mediators, suggested that churches could be most helpful by building bridges across differences, seeking to heal divisions, and offering educational opportunities on social issues. The last option, church as prophetic voice, believes that the church best lives into its mission when it fully engages with the public square through outspoken advocacy and social action. Three very different approaches to this hard question, and each one had very different positives and drawbacks. Now, I was not able to be a part of every conversation. We actually had five small groups, but from what I heard and what I saw in the notes that I looked at for a long time to prepare for this sermon, one thing became very clear to me, that no single of these three options emerged as the winner. Every single group, all five, very clearly was able to identify positives and drawbacks to each option. We were able to identify that each option is maybe more 
nuanced and complicated than we would like it to be. And, and, and we didn't end the conversation saying, oh yeah, we're very clearly option two or option one. That actually wasn't even the goal of the conversation. Now, after discussing each of these options and talking about the positives and the drawbacks, we turned the conversation to share the common ground, the common values that that emerged organically in the midst of our conversation. And I want to share with you some of these values. These are things that showed up more than once on the notes that the groups took. The things that they lifted up was that we desire to be a church where everyone has a voice, where there is respect for everyone regardless of political affiliation or theological preference. We want to be a church that works together. This came up more than once too. We want to be more inclusive where all people feel welcome. We don't seek to be a judgmental people. We want Christ and a commitment to God's word to be our guiding principles. Now, surely these aren't all the common values, but these were some of the key ones that emerged from those notes. Now, the last thing we did in that conversation was we brainstormed some possible next steps, some things that we could possibly do after this dialogue. And and this is where I want us to focus this morning because this is where things get really fascinating, I think. Because as, as I looked at the notes, overwhelmingly, the ideas for next steps included things like, let's do another dialogue. Let's do this again. In fact, let's offer online options so more people can participate. Let's try and make these more intergenerational so a wider swath of our community can be represented. We want more voices at the table. Every group, every group said this. One other possible next step that I saw was that people were interested in, in doing this again, but taking a closer look at specific social issues so that we can continue to learn together and discern God's spirit. We actually did an informal uh, feedback form on an index card, and one of the questions that I asked for that index card was, would you do this again? And out of 50 participants, all but one person said, yes, they would absolutely do this again. All but one person, who actually just didn't didn't answer the question, so I'm not sure what they think. But uh, nearly unanimously, across the board, regardless of age, background, political persuasion, practically every person that engaged with this dialogue wanted to do it again. Now, I think that's amazing. I think that's extraordinary. That in the midst of such divided times that we live in, I mean, our our denomination, United Methodist Church, we're living in divided times. That people from all backgrounds and perspectives could get together, talk about hard things that they deeply, deeply care about, and at the end of it, actually want to talk more. I think that's amazing. Now, perhaps you think that shouldn't be so amazing, Daniel. That happens all the time. But when I think about the status of our political and societal conversations, it is clear to me this is not always how it goes. Think about the last time you saw a a presidential debate. 
Think about the last time you saw a campaign rally. Think about the last time you went to a PTO meeting or witnessed a protest for an issue you didn't agree with. I think more often than not, the conversations we have in our world about controversial issues are not conversations we're eager to go back to. In fact, if you're anything like me, when it comes to these conversations, you do all that you can to avoid them. But that's not what happened on Wednesday night. That's not what happened at all. And the only way that I can explain it, and I'm coming at this from my pastoral theological lens, is that what happened on Wednesday night was a witness and a testimony to the power of God's love. Now in John chapter 14, when Jesus is talking to his disciples on that last night, he's giving them some, some of his final teachings. And I think it's important to note that one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples is, this is my commandment for you. Love one another just as I have loved you. Now, in other places in the gospel, Jesus says things like, love those who persecute you, love your neighbor as yourself, and all those are good things. But here in John chapter 15, he's talking directly to his disciples and saying, you ought to love each other. Your fellow disciples your fellow followers of Jesus, just as I have loved you. He's saying the love that God has shown us ought to be the love that exists within our pews. He says, just as I, Jesus, abide in the Father's love for me, so too should you abide in my love. What does it mean to abide? It means to be held close. It means to be inseparable from it. It means that God's love becomes such a part of our beings, it follows us wherever we go. It becomes an inseparable piece of who we are. You can't get it out of us. When we abide in the love of Christ, we are engulfed in God's love. When we abide in the love of Christ, things like what happened on Wednesday night are possible because the love of Christ has the power to transform our conversations from that which divides to that which unites. That's what God's love can do. And I think this is what we did. We maybe didn't do it perfectly, but we came together with a commitment to love one another with the love that Jesus showed us. And as a result, 49 out of 50 people said, yes, I would do this again. I would lean into more hard conversations. At the very end of the night, we took communion together, which is a beautiful reminder that Jesus invites us all around the same table to partake of the same love, the same grace that makes us whole and makes us one. There's another place in John's gospel where Jesus says this commandment again, love one another as I have loved you, but he adds to it, by this people will know 
that you follow me. People will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What if our church was known in our community for truly being a place where we loved one another? What if we were known as a people who, instead of being inseparable from our political affiliations, were inseparable from the love of Christ? What kind of witness would that be in our community? What kind of witness would that be in our divided world? Now, I'm not talking about a fluffy, woo-woo-y kind of love that just tries to make nice. We talk about love a lot, and I think that's what we mean sometimes. But I'm talking about imitating the very love that God has for us. I'm talking about a love that shows genuine care and concern for others. A love that is not possessive or subordinating. A love that allows genuine space for the other to be as they are. A love so abundant it is offered freely and without reserve and with out price. I'm talking about the kind of love that was demonstrated on Wednesday night. A love that is willing to sit across the table from somebody that you might not know or somebody that you might disagree with and dare to find the face of Christ in that person. That is the love of God. Now this kind of love is not easily found these days, I don't think. But it is the kind of love that Jesus calls us to, and I honestly believe it is the kind of love that we are capable of demonstrating. Yes, we will not be perfect at it. Heaven knows we fail from time to time. But the goal is never to be perfect. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, taught us that. The goal is not to be perfect. The goal, I think, is for us to be moving towards perfection. And if we're a people that's moving towards a perfection in love, I think we're on the right track. Perhaps, and this is something I hope you'll think about, perhaps that is at least part of what it means to be the church in a divided society, to be going onward together towards a perfection of love just as Christ loves us. May it be so. Amen.